1: Hello and welcome to History Hack. Merrin here. I am relinquishing my vice-like grip on the vituperative intrigue that surrounds the violence of the Second World War today and going back in time, no DeLorean required, to the Middle Ages, a time when men were men, women were women, and children were useful for catching rabbits, or so I thought. And with me today is Kate. Say hello, Kate. Hello, everyone. Hello. And your exuberance and excitement today today's subject is about to become apparent, isn't it? Say, tell, do, exude. Tell us who's about to come through the door of definitive dialogue and the portal of the past. Come on, who is it? So we're joined today by Dr Catherine Hanley, a medieval historian and author. She gained a PhD focused on warfare during the 12th and 13th centuries from the University of Sheffield and is now an honorary senior research fellow at the University of Exeter. Welcome, Catherine. Hello. That all makes me sound quite a lot more impressive than I actually am. Thank you. <laughs> so, Kath, your Twitter profile describes you as a grammar pedant, so I think you and Miriam will get on famously. <laughs> Fortunately, we don't need to worry about commas and apostrophes while we're recording a podcast, but, you know. You, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? I, you, you're not speaking with semicolons? What do you like, woman? What do you like? <laughs> so, Kath. What are we going to who are we going to talk about today? Uh, we, are going, we are going to talk about the mighty Empress Matilda. Ooh. Nothing to do with Roald Dahl. Not, no. not Roald Dahl's Matilda. Who was Matilda? And why don't we hear more about her then? Okay. Right. Um Matilda was. The daughter of King Henry I. Okay, why do we always describe medieval women as the daughter of or the wife of? We might come on to that later. Um, so this means she was the granddaughter of William the Conqueror. So that's always a good, a good way, you know, everyone's heard of William the Conqueror. That's a good way to, to place her in history. Now, she actually had an exceptionally royal pedigree. All four of her grandparents were were from separate royal dynasties. So William the Conqueror, obviously the founder of the Anglo-Norman dynasty. Uh, William the Conqueror's Queen, who was also called Matilda. Incidentally, we're going to say who was also called Matilda, probably quite a lot today. So get used to it. Um, And uh, yes, she was descended from the kings of France. And uh, on Matilda's mother's side, her grandfather was the King of Scotland. Descended from the, the Celtic uh, Scots line of kings, and her mother was one of the few surviving her grandmother was one of the few surviving representatives of the old Anglo-Saxon English monarchy. So Matilda could hardly have been more royal if she tried. Um, and yet, we, you know, she's she's not a figure. You know, everyone's heard of William the Conqueror. How many people have heard of Matilda? And I think the reason for that, and, and this is something we'll we'll discuss in a bit, is that she was never crowned the Queen of England. OK, so this means that she's not on the quote, and I'm doing air quotes here, official list of the monarchs of England. OK, she's not on those, you know, tea towels and rulers and, and things like that. If that horrible history song had gone William, William, Henry, Matilda, um, we might have had... Uh, you know we might know more about her but I'm afraid we don't <laughs> and I'm on a quest to remedy this okay we, we, we can we can do t-shirts that's okay we, I can see yeah. the t-shirts coming along don't worry <laughs> definitely so um, Matilda didn't have an easy childhood did she even by 12th century standards so what happened to her oh yeah now as we probably know uh, royal Girls, princesses, were often used to form strategic marriage alliances. okay They didn't have any choice in who they were going to marry. Their father decided who they were going to marry based on his own political needs. Um, now, often this happened to girls when they were rather younger than we would like to see them getting married now. Uh, and in Matilda's case, this was quite extreme. She was actually only two weeks past her eighth birthday when she was shipped off to Germany for a betrothal to the Emperor Henry. That's what we would call the Holy Roman Empire these days, which is, it was just called the Empire at the time. And so that's a giant sort of land that covers what is now Germany and the low countries in the northern part of Italy. And he was, well, he was in his 20s. He was about 15 years older than her. Um, and yeah, two weeks past her eighth birthday. So I think if she was at school in England now, she'd be in year three. Um, Our primary school. Uh, So she went to Germany, where almost the first thing that happened was that he dismissed all the attendants that that she'd brought with her from England um, and sent them away because he wanted her to become as German as possible. So there she is, eight years old in Germany, doesn't speak the language, betrothed to this rather forbidding and very powerful man. Um, so you know if that doesn't teach you self-reliance um, I I don't know what does Let's now they didn't actually sorry I, Carol. I, no, I was just when we say betrothal a oh, we're, we're not talking about consummating betrothed status we're talking about no, like so, the regency sort of protected here's the female to whom it will become betrothed eventually yeah so betrothed is it's kind of it's a bit more than what we would now call engaged. It's a bit more formal, oh. but it's not. It's not actually married. Betrothals could be could be broken off, um, but it was serious enough. I mean, so this marked the the start of the official alliance between Emperor Henry and King Henry. All the men in this are called Henry and William, by the way. As long as all the women mm-hmm. be called Matilda. Um, it makes it so complicated to follow, doesn't it? it I know. Um, oh, it's just. Um, the thing with Matilda and Maud, the name that I think you've you've mentioned that in some of your writing, haven't you? The fact that, that people call her Maud. Yeah, and I'm actually um, very against that. It's a it's a shortening. It's a diminutive, and it just it doesn't happen to men. There are there are more people if you if I if I go through like the index in my book that I've written about Matilda, there are more people called William in that than there are called Matilda. And people say, oh, but she's called Maud, you know, to differentiate her from all the other people called Matilda. Has anyone ever suggested calling William the Conqueror Bill no. to differentiate him from from all the other people called William? I don't think so. So, yeah, I tend to call her Matilda rather than Maud. I don't know her well enough to call her Maud. You know, I think I'd probably get a bit of a slap for trying to be too, uh, you know, too, too chummy. Um, so, yeah, she's she's betrothed at the age of eight now this betrothal is is a serious enough arrangement that she's actually crowned queen of germany at, at um a, when she gets there when she's eight years old after this betrothal ceremony so she can call herself a queen you know for the rest of her life now as you were just saying this doesn't mean actually married um and so after the betrothal, she she was put, obviously, to continue her education. She had to learn German, she had to learn Latin, she had to learn about the politics of the empire because the emperor was very, very clear that he j- didn't just want a wife who was going to bear him children and not do anything else. He wanted a, a helpmeet, you know, who would who would know what he was doing. Um, but having said that, she was still only just shy of her 12th birthday when they actually got married Um, which is just hideous and it is probable that they did begin what I will call call cohabiting um, at that time because he had no children and he had no brothers and he really really needed an heir for the empire and by the time she was 12 he was kind of heading for 30 and the situation was was getting quite desperate and this is just so hideous I don't even like to think about it but we have to it's real. recognize that this what happened, happened. Yeah. it happened to a lot of girls uh royal girls uh people lower down the social scale didn't tend to get married so they're a bit older but you know this did happen to a lot of royal girls and it's it's horrible but we should you know we should recognize that it happened so so it, it happened she's she's young she's as you said quite astute clearly because she's able to get to to sort of look after herself a little bit and married in Germany. It, I mean, there, there were certainly designs, weren't there? What, late teens, I'm thinking that her husband starts moving his interests further afield. Yeah, so as he was the the emperor, he, he ruled uh, both Germany and the northern part of Italy. Now, obviously, geographically, they're quite separate because they've got the Alps in the middle, which is not a walk in the park to cross, but he did go across. Now when yeah, when Matilda was uh, fourteen, they both uh, went to to Italy, he was I won't go into all this here because it's very complicated, but he was in dispute with the Pope, and you know he so in the end, Matilda was crowned empress in Rome, but not by the Pope because the Pope had run away as soon as he saw Emperor Henry coming towards Rome so Uh, she was actually crowned um, empress by an archbishop instead, which people who didn't like her used to say, well, you shouldn't call yourself empress then. Um, But, you know, being crowned and in Rome and as the wife of the emperor, you know, was enough for for her and everyone that, uh, you know, that was on her side to call her the empress for the rest of her life. Now, he obviously, the emperor, obviously Italy, Germany, big place to rule. He eventually had to go back to Germany, but he left Matilda in Italy, to rule it for him cool. um, when she was 16, which I think is quite impressive. I mean, 16-year-old girls are generally pretty quite impressive. Um, but, yeah, ruling Italy, pretty, you know. I don't think there's many 16-year-old girls around now who could uh, rule Italy successfully, are there? <laughs> <Not> <laughs> what's, know, anyway. <laughs> what's important here, because we're going to come back to this later on, is that nobody at all made a fuss about having her a woman ruling Italy, okay? And the reason that nobody made a fuss was because she was doing it on behalf of her husband, okay? Well, so on to that thought, because we're going to come back to it later. So she's, she's ruling she's in person she's there but the 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 populace is seeing her as ruling by proxy yes because she is the representative of the emperor now this went on sort of for a couple of years but the other thing we've got to realize of course you know administratively speaking having the emperor in germany and the empress in italy is is quite useful but doesn't do a lot for the provision of an heir so um he summoned her back she went back to germany um, but they never had any children um, it, that, that geographical divide would make things challenging. Yeah, and you it would, would make, make things <laughs> interesting. Your children did appear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There'd be some um, questions asked for sure. <laughs> <yeah>. So <laughs> she, she went back to Germany. Now, while, and I know this is a question you're going to ask me in a minute, so I'll move straight, straight on to it. Um, while this had been happening in Germany, um, events had been happening in England. Um, okay, so um, Henry the I had many many children but nearly all of them were illegitimate because he had a lot of mistresses he only had two legitimate children matilda and her brother who was about 18 months younger than her who was called william so Lisa- oh they're gonna need serial numbers yeah yeah um now in 1120 december 1120 william uh, died he was 17 and he was drowned in the wreck of the white ship, which is quite a famous thing. And we won't talk about it now. Um, so this obviously left Henry the with a bit of a dilemma. He's only got one legitimate son and he's been placing all his hopes in him. He's already you know, designated him as his successor. And now he hasn't. So in the immediate short term, he, he he kind of does the obvious. He's widowed by this time. So he marries again to a, a woman who's much, much younger than him um, in the hope that he will be able to father another son. Um, but despite the fact that he's had loads of children before and that she went on to have loads of children from a second marriage, they they never had a child together in, in all their years of marriage. Mm. So um, now initially this didn't make a lot of difference to matilda because she's the empress her future is in germany etc cetera, etc cetera. um but then in 1125 emperor henry died quite unexpectedly because he was only in his 30s we think he probably had cancer from from what we can tell so this leaves matilda as a widow with no children uh who is uh what was she to about 20 25 i think no 23 23 um, and she doesn't want to retire I mean she's 23 for god's sake she doesn't want to retire to a nunnery or or retire quietly to her dower lands anything like that she's just so it's now. yeah I mean this so this gives and of course she's got no children so she doesn't have to act as a regent for a young son or anything like that so this gives her the chance to head back to England and Normandy and kind of throw her hat in the ring Is she offering Germany and Italy as part of the deal? No, no. What happens in the empire at this stage is that they have an election. It's interesting because it was it was although sometimes it it worked in a hereditary manner. Technically, it was the monarchy was elective. Um, So they had an election. They elected someone called who became Emperor Lothar um who was nothing to do with Matilda at all and actually she would kind of be a bit in the way if she stayed in Germany so both Germany's interests and her own are served by her just kind of getting out of the way so she resigned any rights to anything that she had in Germany what we call her dower lands and and things like that um and just kind of cut her ties with Germany completely and headed back to Normandy and England to see dear daddy okay no okay go she was named heir to the English throne, wasn't she, by her father? Yes, How, she was. how yes. did she come to be in that position? Was it that just the fact that he had no alternative? No. But, well, this is what's really, really interesting about it, in that there were at least three or four reasonably plausible male alternatives. OK, so quick, quick run through. Um, Henry the unusually for a king of England, has got a living older brother. But this older brother is in his captivity and has been for about 30 years. So we're not uh, you know, he's not going to name his older brother as his heir. This older brother, who was called Robert Curthose, had a, had a son who was called William Cleto. Now, he's about the same age as Matilda, and he is the person that most people assume that Henry is going to name his heir because he's the eldest son of the eldest son of William the Conqueror. Um, but is that Robert of Gloucester? No, 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 that's not Robert of Gloucester. I'll come to him in a minute. Um, <laughs> there aren't two many, There's only two Roberts in this story, and you might have no, 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 mixed to up already. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so William William Cleto um, is, is the eldest son of the eldest son of, of William the Conqueror. But, of course, Henry I absolutely... Is absolutely against naming him as his heir because the thing is, if he named him as his heir because he's the eldest son, the eldest son of William the Conqueror, everyone would go, "Well, hang on, why isn't he the king already?" Instead of you, and this is not a can of worms that Henry wants to open. So his other choices are, as I mentioned earlier, he's got a large illegitimate family, the eldest of whom is Robert, the Earl of Gloucester, um, who has been his father's reliable you know, kind of lieutenant, right-hand man for for many years, and a lot of people thought this was quite plausible, because, you know, it's not all that long since somebody who was illegitimate became the King of England, Um, but the, you know, the church, without wishing to get into too many details, the church has by this time got a lot more control of, you know, making marriage formalized, and that legitimacy is very important. So, Naming so naming your illegitimate son is heir, you know, not impossible, but Henry would sort of get into a bit of a discussion with the church about it, which he probably doesn't want. Um, and then the other options are he's got a couple of nephews called Theobald and Stephen. And um, so they are the sons of Henry I's sister, who is called Adela. The- Theobald is the Count of Blois in France and his younger brother Stephen um, has been well rewarded by Henry because he's basically been, you know, sucking up to him. Hello, Uncle Henry. <laughs> can, I, can I have an earldom? Um, uh, you know, fighting on his, his behalf. Uh, so, yeah, there are all of these male possibilities, but Henry 1st doesn't choose any of them. He chooses his daughter, Matilda. Uh, that's quite unconventional, isn't it? It's very unconventional, yeah. Now, in, in, in some respects, Henry's motive is a little bit conventional because what he's desperate to see is his own bloodline continuing on the throne. Okay, so that's quite conventional. Most kings wanted to be succeeded by a child of their own. To, to make this happen, he is prepared to do as the heir is, you know, Pretty unconventional and he wouldn't have done it if he didn't think that she had the personal qualities to carry through with it you know he'd he'd heard good reports of her while she was in Germany and Italy he'd been in her company for a couple of years now since she came back he could obviously see that you know she was a capable person so he had all of the um all of the nobles swear an oath that they would support her claim to the throne when he was dead and she became the first, and at that, you know, female heir to the throne. Yeah. Oh, sorry, carry on. No, no, no. Go on. I'm going to but come um, it comes with a catch for Matilda, and the catch is that she's got to get married again. Oh, you can imagine him poring over the letters, patent going that way. Madness lies that way. The church lies. Hmm. What would I have to do to Matilda to make this work? <laughs> Because if you're trying to found a dynasty for the continuation of your bloodline on the throne, naming as your heir somebody who is both childless and single is not a particularly good idea because all that's going to happen is you're going to have the same problem again a few years down the line. So it's very, very important that she gets married again and has children. Now, as a widow... You know, widows sometimes did have a little bit more of a choice in in who they would marry, but not in this case, because Henry just says, right, I've chosen your husband. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Um, And his choice fell on a chap called Geoffrey of Anjou, sometimes called Geoffrey Plantagenet. and OK, so this might seem a bit weird, but it actually makes sense because uh, Geoffrey's lands, he, he was the Count of Anjou and Maine, and they border Normandy to the south. Now, we have to remember that at this point, the King of England is also the Duke of Normandy and he can't be everywhere at once. So having an ally by marriage on his southern border is, is quite a good idea. So, you know, to him, this is a really good idea. But uh, I'm afraid Matilda wasn't very impressed. Um, there are there are two reasons why she wasn't impressed. The first was the status issue. Okay, she's the empress. That's like the top position that you can get for a woman in in Western Europe. Kind of it outranks queen even. You know, um, and now she's going to be the countess of Anjou. So a bit of a step down. Um, and secondly, there was the slightly odd age difference. Now she'd already had an age difference um, in her first marriage, but it was. Away, the way round that was more normal it? her husband was much older than her but at the time this marriage to Geoffrey of Anjou was arranged she was 25 and he was 13 Ouch. which is also very icky and you know she didn't like it and she told Henry that she didn't like it and she told everyone who would listen that she didn't like it and you know she basically got told to sit down and shut up Um you know she got letters from churchmen telling her that she should obey her father and blah 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 blah. but in the end you know she came to the recognition that if she wanted to fulfill her political ambitions this was something that she had to do she had to put her personal likes and dislikes to one side in order to further her political aims because she, she's not laughed, is she? I mean, she, she can look at the same linear tree. She she understands what's going to happen. And when it comes to it on both sides of the channel, everybody's looking at the family tree and they're also looking at the map and yeah. potential and potential threat. And they're all coming to the same conclusions, which is that if we want to protect ourselves and our own interests, this is what's got to happen. Yeah, yeah. So So what's the, what's the marriage at what impact does it have on the succession line? okay well um it it both it, in the end actually it both helped and and hindered because they got married um and, well, okay, so to start with the marriage was was a disaster you know they didn't get on at all, they separated, they were forced to get back together um and in the end they did have three sons, which is kind of the point of the exercise, and then once they had three sons, they just were quite happy to live apart from each other um but funnily enough, it both helped and hindered her okay it helped her because she had a husband who could command her armies and she now had sons to continue the line but it hindered partly because the barons in England were like hang on you know do we really want somebody from Anjou to to come in and the Normans particularly didn't like it because Normandy and Anjou had sort of been at loggerheads for a while um, and also because Henry I was very very vague about what role Geoffrey was would play so nobody knew like so for example if a if a county if there was a countess who'd inherited a county because she had no brothers and it was hers by right her husband would become count in what we call jure uxoris in in right of his wife and the lands would then be his and so there was some thought that does that mean that Geoffrey of Anjou is going to be the king or is he not going to be the king? Is he just going to be some kind of supporter for his wife? And how is this all going to work? And it was so unclear that you know people kind of didn't really like it. And then and and Geoffrey himself didn't really like it. He was like, well, you know, can you tell me what's going on? And and he ended up in conflict with Henry the First. So Matilda's now in this situation where her husband is fighting against her father, which isn't doing anyone any good. Um, and then comes the day that, you know, everyone's been expecting and knowing is going to happen, and Henry the First dies. Oh, dear. Yeah. yeah so I'm going to – I know Kate's dying to get into the question, but there's, there's a really practical um, query I've got, which is when both sides of the channel are thinking about what's going to happen, they can't pick up the phone and talk about it does this happen through protracted men on horseback with little satchels going backwards and forwards across the channel to talk about it? Yes, it does. And, and actually, the, the time lapses and the different travel times between different places are actually very, very important in what happens next. Because when Henry I dies, he's in a place called uh, lyon la which is in Normandy. OK, so picture a map in your mind here. He's in, he's in Normandy. Matilda is, we don't exactly where she was, was, but she's right down somewhere in Maine or Anjou. She might have been in Le Mans or she might have been in Angers, but in any case, she's a good 200 miles away from where this happens. Okay, And other people are much closer. Robert of Gloucester, um, Henry's illegitimate son, is with him, as is Theobald of Blois, his nephew. And Theobald's brother, Stephen of Blois, is not that far away because he is by now the Count of Boulogne. And Boulogne is the place that has the shortest sea crossing to England. So, yes, Matilda does not even hear that her father is dead until, well, we don't know exactly. But if you look at how far away she was and what the time of year was, December, which doesn't help. Probably it took at least a fortnight for her to even find out that her father was dead. And then it would have taken her another fortnight, more, more than that, to get up there. Um, because the problem is she's actually pregnant. She's pregnant with her third child at this time. And, you know, you you, this is a serious health question in the 12th century. Women routinely died. When they were pregnant or in labour or if they they had an accident and went into labour early and travelling isn't easy it's not like she'd go on a nice little smooth high-speed train or anything you know so she can't move and while she can't move somebody else does we know yeah (laughs) (laughs) so Stephen seizes the throne um so what does Matilda do about it well to start with she she actually can't do very much okay so for the first sort of six months she's hanging around being pregnant and presumably not terribly um, Im- impressed with it but she then safely gives birth to a third son um, but by the time this has all happened Stephen's been king for six seven months and despite all their odes to her you know, the nobles of England and Normandy have basically rolled over and accepted this. The only person who stood up for Matilda's claims was her uncle, who was David. He was the king of Scotland. And he sort of had a, he invaded England from the north in her support. But then nothing happened because he didn't, nobody else took up his cause, So he sort of went back again. Um, so Matilda is stuck, you know, both physically and politically right on the edges. She's right sort of on the, in the south of Normandy and, and meanwhile Stephen is consolidating and everyone's going yeah perhaps this wasn't so bad and it looks like she's she's going to be written out she never gave up you know it might have been quite easy to give up and go well pff, Countess of Anjou is a fair consolation prize you know she didn't she kept proclaiming her rights but she couldn't do anything practical until she got a stroke of luck and the stroke of luck was that her half-brother Robert, the Earl of Gloucester, fell out with Stephen and defected to Matilda and said, my sister actually should be on this throne and not you. And through all of his very considerable riches and resources and lands and men and troops and everything to her service so she was able to take advantage of this straight away. You know, the lands that he controlled gave her a safe path from where she was all the way up to the Norman coast. And she got on a ship and she sailed for England in 1139.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
1: because when, when you, that's really interesting because when you describe her lands providing safe passage the transfer of Robert's interest doesn't actually spark like a civil war does it or, or a national dispute in what we think of today as being France it's it's more um, it's more laid back than that it's not like everybody going right two arms off we go we've got to work this through so she, she actually travels then doesn't she Yes, so she leaves her husband Geoffrey and all three of her sons, who are uh, about six and two and newborn, no, sorry, six and four and newborn at this time, and she sails for England. She leaves them in Normandy. Um, And she lands, uh, not because Stephen obviously has been kind of expecting that this is going to happen since he he knew that Robert had defected. Because Robert went to the trouble of officially writing to him to say, I'm withdrawing my support from you, because he was that kind of guy. (laughs) Um, He wasn't going to sneak off. He was going to go, ha ha. Um, So Stephen is watching all the obvious places, you know, Dover and so on. And Matilda lands at Arundel. Nicky, yeah, now this is this is important because the person who owns Arundel Castle is Matilda's former stepmother, right? Her name is Adeliza, Adeliza of Louvain, and she is the girl who became Henry I's second wife, the one I mentioned earlier, that he married after the white ship disaster to try and have um, a- another son. So Adeliza is actually, although she's Matilda's stepmother they're actually the same age and they've always been I know don't (laughs) and and they've always been quite good friends so um Adeliza welcomes her to Arundel and lets her inside the castle now Arundel castle at the time was slightly different to what it looks like now because a, a lot of it's been built since then um but it was pretty damn impressive you know you wouldn't you It would be a difficult place to besiege you know you, you um it could be supplied from the river and the sea. It would be very, very difficult to to blockade it completely. so this is actually a really good tactical decision. so she and Adeliza are are locked up uh safely um along with Robert of Gloucester, who's come over with Matilda and they're all in Arundel castle and then obviously Stephen hears that they've landed at Arundel and he rushes from where he was with his army and and he's outside Arundel. Um, And this is, and I know you're going to ask me this, this is the one and only time in Matilda's life that being female actually did her a favor.
0: In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Um, so what happens is Stephen um, is outside the castle and he's like, you must surrender. You, you know, you've come to try and take my throne off me and I'm the king. And Adeliza sends out a message going, no, 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 no. That's not what Matilda's come for. She's just, I'm, I'm her ex-stepmother. We've, we're two lovely ladies. We've, we've always been good friends. Love and it. she's just come here for a social visit. <laughs> love it, love it. Oh, um, and so this, I mean, what is Stephen supposed to do? I mean, just think of the optics here, as we say now, you know. If he starts attacking a castle where the previous king's widow And the previous king's daughter, two ladies, are are just in there. I mean, how bad is that going to (laughs) look? So he's there going, oh, my God, what do I do now? Um, And what happens in the end is that he is forced to let her go. Um, And so Matilda has negotiated this. So... um, Sorry, what I should have said when they arrived at Arundel, as soon as they arrived, Robert of Gloucester got on his horse and rode for his own lands of Bristol. So he's not there because if he had been there, that, that would have looked a bit different because he was officially in rebellion against the king, but he wasn't there. So it was just the two ladies. So what Stephen has to do is to let Matilda out of the castle in peace and give her a safe conduct to travel all the way to Robert's castle at Bristol. So right across the south of England. And um, to escort her to make sure she doesn't take any diversions, he um, the escort is going to be another brother of Stephen's. Now, he's he's called Henry, unsurprisingly, um, and Again. he is the Bishop of Winchester. So he's never a claimant to the throne because he's a churchman, but he's a very, very clever man. And we will, you know, we'll. He plays a big part in this. So, unfortunately, we have no idea at all what Henry and Matilda spoke about on the days. Days it would have taken them to get from Arundel to Bristol. But Matilda ends up in Bristol safely inside of Brother Robert's castle, and there's nothing Stephen can do about it. So, yeah, yeah being female did her a favour for a change. You can just imagine the kickoff, can't you? If all the testosterone had been been going at each other outside the castle gates, but no, it's like oh. So it's ladies who lunch. Okay, um, kind of takes wind out of my sails. Right, um, this is going to look bad. Uh, okay, plan B. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And there is some thought that actually his, his wily brother Henry might have been the one who actually came up with the idea because it's not all bad for Stephen because he already knows that Robert of Gloucester is in rebellion against him. So if Matilda is also in the same place and he can keep them all in Bristol i.e away from the southeast coast where there might be a chance of communication with normandy and and everything it's kind of not not too bad it's not it's not quite as foolish a maneuver as it sounds but yeah (laughs) who is she queen at this point i've lost track of the no no at this point stephen is the king of england because he is the one who has had the crown put on his head okay so Once you're crowned, because this was not just a civil ceremony with a crown, it's a religious one, you get anointed, you know, your god's chosen. Doesn't matter who you were before. Once you've got the crown on your head, you are the king. Okay. That's that's why Henry the First was the king and not his elder brother. I'm I'm lost because I don't remember in my history lessons it being William, Henry, and Steve. Yeah, William the First, William the (laughs) Second, Henry the First, Stephen. You, you know, you, you've got to watch horrible histories, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um, so, so she's, she's doing what she's doing. So, so how long does Stephen rule for then? Well, again, I'm doing air quotes here. It depends what you mean by rule. Uh, officially, he was the king until the end of his life, but he was not in charge of the country and certainly not in charge of the whole country for, for all of that. So, um, Yeah. There is a war. Because, you know, that's what you do. We've got two people both in England, both claiming to be the rightful monarch. The only answer is there's going to be war. Now, the, the problem is that neither of them command enough of a majority of the nobles to force a decisive result. It's all very well going, I'm the king or I'm the queen. Um, if you haven't got enough nobles on your side to fight for you with all their resources and, and troops and everything, it's, it's, it's not going to work. So a lot of this becomes very, very political. And I won't kind of bore you with all the people who change sides and, and all the rest of it. But basically speaking, if you want to win this war, you've you've got to have enough of the nobles on your side to force a decisive result. So is the outcome is decided by the nobles then, largely. Yeah, eventually. So to you know to skim over sort of you know the next fifteen years, there are lots of there are lots of ups and downs. Okay, Matilda's biggest moment of triumph comes when Stephen is captured at the Battle of Lincoln in eleven forty one, and she she puts him in prison and um, heads to. Uh, london to have the crown put on her head because you know she's in charge now but she was driven out of, of westminster and london by an army led by careful now queen matilda who is stephen's wife who is also called matilda as i said, no! say a lot no. um <laughs> and then you know there's all sorts of other engagements and all, and, and all the rest of it and she never ends up getting the getting the crown put on her head um but yeah what happens Uh, to cut a very long story short is that um, yeah there's still throughout all these years there's still kind of half and half there's people going well Matilda yes she should have been that because she was Henry's heir and we did all swear to it but you know she is a woman and on the other hand there are people going well Stephen didn't really have a claim to the throne but he's the king now so um and The other issue, and this does get quite complicated, is that a lot of the people who supported Matilda only did so because they didn't like Stephen. They were quite happy to support Matilda while she was, you know, what we might call the leader of the opposition. But as soon as it looked like she was actually going to become the monarch, they all kind of panicked and went, oh, uh, a, uh, all right, oh, my God, all right. she's walking confidently and speaking <laughs> confidently and, and trying to tell us what to do. We can't have that. Um. So, yeah, that's, that's why it never happens. So while all this is happening, Matilda's sons over in Normandy are gradually getting older because, you know, that tends to happen to children. Um. And as this war goes on and on and on, um, and it gets more and more sort of entrenched, Um, Matilda's eldest son, who's called Henry, um, becomes more of a plausible candidate. So Matilda has this kind of, we often talk about how determined she is and stubborn and all the rest of it, but she had this kind of moment of self-awareness that she was never going to get the crown put on her own head. So she switches straight away she switches entirely from saying this is my crown and I'm fighting for it to say my son should be the king and we're fighting for him. He's Henry I's grandson, he's the true lawful heir of this kingdom and funnily enough nobles who just couldn't stomach the idea of you know a woman on the throne are quite happy to start throwing their support behind a boy of 10. Shock, horror, <laughs> While you've been talking, I've been rummaging away and I've discovered that Matilda, the word Matilda is composed of two parts. It's from the mat, from the old high German meaning fat, might or strength, and hild meaning battle. Strong battle. Strong battle, (laughs) nominative determinism. Yeah, Yeah. nominative determinism at its best. Here we go, women. But fickle female seeing the seeing the outcome being better if she nominates her son and says, no, nope, not for me. <laughs> it's for, it's for Yeah, me yeah. And this is what turns the tide. I mean, partly because, you know, Stephen hasn't been a very good king. He's, he's very weak. People take advantage of him and everyone doesn't like it. And partly because his own eldest son is, you know, I think the technical term is a complete git. Um, he <laughs> was his own eldest son, who thankfully was called Eustace, <laughs> and not Henry or William, um, was he was he was a he was a similar age to Matilda's son, son, Henry. So it, it, as the war went on, it was like they became the principal protagonists rather than Stephen and Matilda. But um, Eustace was, you know, he was erratic. He was violent. Um, he, you know, he would order his men to burn towns to the ground. And, you know, and the nobles started thinking, well, oh, hang on you know who do we want to be king next is it Eustace cuz it's not really um or or is it Henry and if we support Henry we can also pat ourselves on the back that we're taking the moral high ground um because he's Henry the first grandson and so eventually more and more of the nobles come come over to, the, to to what what is now called Henry's side rather than Matilda's um and in I think it was 1153 there was just a standoff where henry's forces and stephen's forces came face to face and the nobles just literally refused to fight they just said we're just we're just not doing this anymore please talk to each other um and so an arrangement was made whereby stephen would remain king for the rest of his life but that the next king would be not his own son eustace but matilda's son henry okay so, so you've already mentioned that, that this has been the cause, the catalyst for a, a little bit of unrest, a bit of yeah. anarchy, oh. as they say. Yeah. So, I mean, how much civil unrest was there with all this going on? Because we, we've spoken already about the importance of geography keeping people remote from each other and it all being a bit removed and, and stuff. How much of this impacts, you know, normal people, as it were, the citizens? It honestly depended where you lived in England, okay? If you lived in somewhere like Winchester or Wallingford or in that sort of uh, south and, and southeast area, Oxford, that sort of area, the Thames Valley particularly, you would probably very much agree with the term anarchy, okay? Anarchy is not a contemporary term, by the way. The period was first called the Anarchy in the 19th century, so we have to be a bit careful about using it. But, you know, if you were one of the people who lived in a place that was continually being sacked and burnt and your fields destroyed and your crops destroyed and different people trying to get you into their army and, you know, all the rest of it, you would probably very much agree that this was anarchy, but there were other parts of England that didn't really see any combat or any fighting at all where life sort of went on as normal. And, To be honest, a lot of people in the country, and we're not talking about the self-interested nobles here, we're talking about, you know, the 97% of people that weren't at that level, they didn't really care who sat on the throne. What they wanted was peace and stability to grow their crops and build their businesses and carry on their trades and raise their families, you know, without the threat of armed men appearing over the horizon to burn it all down. Um, and they just wanted it to be over. Seems reasonable. Yeah. So whether or not you would call this the anarchy very much um, depends on, you know, your point of view, I suppose. I tend to avoid the term. I just call it the civil war between Matilda and Stephen, but that's mainly just because I don't want to open a huge can of worms because <laughs> that wasn't what I was trying to write about in my book. Um, so, Yeah probably so, but, what, I mean, call it sorry <clears throat> uh, probably not as anarchic as all that unless you lived in very specific parts of the country would be my summary but, i mean ultimately call it what we will matilda was fighting a battle was she fighting a battle that she couldn't win the simple answer to that is yes um Sadly. okay so let's let me ask you a hypothetical question if henry i had designated as his heir a person who was intelligent, multilingual, a grown adult with years of political and governmental experience, who also happened to be his eldest son. Do you think any of this would have happened? No, 100%. No, 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 at all. Exactly. So there was literally kind of nothing that, that Matilda could do. The exemplars... Of kingship that she had observed most closely in her life, okay, are those of her first husband, Emperor Henry, and her father, King Henry. They were both renowned for being tough, authoritarian, disciplinarian monarchs, okay. Henry I meted out some really hideous punishments to people who defied him or committed crimes, but the upshot was that he was a popular king because the kingdom was safe, because everyone was so terrified of him that they didn't dare to make trouble. Um, And, you know, so what Matilda learnt as a young person was that the way to be a monarch was to be authoritative and disciplinarian and that this worked. But the problem is, although it worked for Emperor Henry and King Henry, it didn't work for her because as soon as she tried it, everyone went, what is this woman doing? You know, a lot of the criticisms of her that, that came out What's gone down in history is that as soon as it looked like she might be queen, she suddenly became incredibly haughty and arrogant and horrible and blew her own chances. But actually, if you look at it the other way around, if you look at the actual things that were that she was accused of what it says in the chronicles is she's being criticized for arranging matters according to her own will she began to uh, I can't remember the precise wording but she began to walk and speak with authority and to arrange matters according to her own will that's what somebody does when they're about to become the king and they just couldn't stomach it because of her being female but her other problem was that had she been a more stereotypically, you know, had she acted in a more stereotypically feminine way and been, you know, soft and yielding and, and, and giving in to her advisors, she would also have been criticised for that because she would be too soft to rule. Damned if she did damned if she didn't we've got this stereotype this archetypal view that this this sort of the king sitting there listening to his counsellors and taking wise advice and then being respected for acting on that and making that happen in contrast with the woman who ostensibly would have been in a situation where potentially she's listening to the same kind of but then they turn around and say yeah you can't actually do that love because you're a woman yeah, you're aberrant and unwomanly. And it just reminded me, you know, when I was in the 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 early stages of, of writing my book about Matilda, um the twenty sixteen American presidential uh campaign was going on. And I remember reading, honest and this is honest honestly true, on the same day reading two pieces about Hillary Clinton, one of which said she doesn't smile enough, and the other one that said she smiles too much. Yep. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're 800 and something years down the line. And this is that line could have been written about Matilda. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's something that male politicians and male monarchs don't have to face. Stephen was a pretty hopeless king, and it was recognized at the time that he was a pretty hopeless king. But even his most serious detractors never used that as an excuse to say, well, men are obviously tempora- temperamentally unsuited to rule. Okay, so bearing in mind what she did manage to achieve and the fact she started at eight years old and she was learning all the time what the extent of her, air quotes, power was, what she she could accomplish. What could she have done differently, perhaps, to circumvent some of that natural sexism at the time? I, yeah, I mean, it's obviously difficult to from a modern point of view, but I mean, there are a a sort of few individual little tactical decisions that she could have made but the main one was I think that she could have realized a bit earlier that she the rule the rules for her were different she could have realized a bit earlier that this was all rigged against her in a way that it wasn't rigged against Stephen and reacted accordingly and the main way in which she could probably have done that would be to declare right from the start that she was fighting for her son's rights and not her own. Okay, so women were routinely expected to act in authoritative ways, like she had done in Italy. Just to go back to what we were saying at the beginning, nobody batted an eyelid when she was ruling Italy because she was doing it on behalf of her husband. And you often see, you know, women are being praised because they act, you know, their husbands are in the Crusades and they run the land. They they run the lands by themselves while they're left there. Or, you know, they act on behalf of their brothers or their sons. You know, there's a lot of strong regions. King Stephen's mother is a good example. Actually, she was widowed when all her children were very young um, because her husband was killed in the Crusades. Um, And she was very much respected because she did it in the right, the appropriate feminine way. You know, she was a tough, a tough woman. Um, Adela, Adela of Blois King, Henry's sister, William the Conqueror's youngest daughter, and probably the one of William the Conqueror's children who got most of his grit and determination. Um, But she did it in this very correct way. She was tough on behalf of her husband, and then she was tough on behalf of her son. What everyone, just what threw everyone into confusion about Matilda was that she was trying to claim the throne for herself. But from a modern point of view, and like one shouldn't take a modern point of view, but seriously, why should she? It was her crown. She was the one who'd been named as the heir. Why should she suddenly, you know, when her father dies, say, well, I'm fighting on behalf of my son, who is at this point only two, which, you know... Um, I did put the mockers on it, really, though, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, she could have done that earlier, and it, it did take her a long time to realise that that was... The best way forward but she did so, in the end you know she'd kept on and on and on this is my crown this is my crown you know most of England would have just been in ruins and ashes. So why didn't her father name her son his heir because that would have been the natural line of succession from male to male. It, so it would it would and I think that had little Henry been older that mm. might have happened I think Henry the first was probably hoping that he was going to live a bit longer Mm. because if his grandson had been, well, I mean, certainly 15, but even 12, you know, by the time he died. And if, if then there had been proposed that he would be the King with a regency made up of Matilda, who was his mother and would fight on his behalf and probably Robert of Gloucester as well, who would have supported and who the barons knew, you know, that, that might have succeeded a bit better. But it's, it's just a shame for Matilda. I mean, she, she never got that crown on her head, but she is one of the only unsuccessful claimants to the throne of England to die in her bed in old age. So mm. she did, what I like to think at least, is that she did kind of have the last laugh. Yeah, Stephen, she... Uh... Stephen died, Henry became the king... You know, and and she she at least lived long enough to see that happen, which was a a moment of triumph. But she actually wasn't at at her son's coronation, which I think is quite sad because she realized that she she was living in Normandy by this time. She kind of cleared the field for for her son Henry in England and was living in Normandy. And she chose not to travel to England for it because I think she realized that, you know, opening old wounds and and all the rest of it. So she stayed in Normandy. But ironically, she kind of ended her life the way she'd started it. She ruled Normandy. Henry was very busy in England trying to put rights all of, you know, 20 years' worth of civil war. And she ruled Normandy on his behalf. And nobody made a fuss. Yeah. Because she's doing it on behalf of her son. Yeah. Really, she she lost the battle, but she won the war, didn't she? That is exactly the best way of putting it. Yeah. she, She lost that battle. She was never crowned. But she lived long enough to see, you know, Stephen in the ground and her son, Henry, the restoration of the rightful line rather than Stephen's children. And yeah, every single monarch of England and, and later Great Britain um, is a direct descendant of Matilda's, even all the hanoverians and everyone i trust me i've been through the family tree they're (laughs) right down to and including the present queen they're all direct descendants of matilda and if that's not having the last laugh i don't know (laughs) what is yeah certainly uh satisfying it sounds like um uh, a biography of matilda is well overdue tell us um tell us what's the title of your book uh it's working on next uh well the the book about matilda is called Matilda um but in order the, the problem is the problem is if you do a search for it you come up with loads it of little, uh, so it's called Matilda Empress Queen Warrior and I wanted to get that last word in she's all obviously always known as Empress Matilda she wasn't the Queen of England but she was a crown queen in Germany so she's a queen but I really really wanted to get the title warrior in that because the the traditional view is that she was kind of just a passive pawn. You know, her father named her as heir. And I've even heard her fight during the war against Stephen called, you know, Robert of Gloucester's fight that he was fighting on behalf of his sister. No. So I wanted to go back and examine all the sources much more closely. And yeah, I hope that I was able to show that she was a much, much more active participant yes she didn't lead her armies into battle but she was the one at the head of the table making the decisions and she was a much more active participant on her own behalf than has ever been shown before and she was actually quite an astute um military strategist so that's why i wanted to get the warrior in there okay so so Empress, Queen, Warrior, what yeah. are you working on next? I am now working on a book which um, is also for Yale University Press and it's uh, currently entitled Two Dynasties. And it's uh, it's a bit of a whopper. I'm having, <laughs> having a job keeping it down to the word count. It is the story of the two ruling houses of England and of France from 1100 to 1300 Whoa. told through the stories of... Of all the people involved so not just the kings and the queens but their jealous cousins their younger sons their younger brothers their women who were shipped off into marriages they didn't like the boys who were forced into the church when they didn't want to be so um i'm having a similar problem with names actually i mean in in the matilda book everyone's called matilda william and henry and in this one everyone's called louis and philip (laughs) <laughs> um and it 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 genuinely it tells a story from both sides because obviously you know a lot of people know about Henry the second and Eleanor of Aquitaine and their sons, but there's so many other exciting characters and you know so I'm, I'm telling it genuinely from both sides it's not just Here is about the English ruling house and the French kings appear sort of occasionally when they're going to be the antagonist. It genuinely um, goes from both sides. So we've got loads of um, not just, you know, Eleanor of Aquitaine and Richard the Lionheart, King John, but we've got Philip Augustus, we've got St. Louis. um, And one of my favourite French kings who suffered through many centuries of having the epithet Louis the Fat. Um, He's he's actually one of France's greatest kings. And everyone just laughs laughs, when, oh, Louis the Fat. Um, so find out more about about many kings called Lear and Philip, and 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 everyone in England being called Henry and later on Edward uh, for two hundred years. Um, that sounds like a, a magisterial manuscript in the making. Will you you you'll be able to knock somebody out with it, I tell so you, once you, was- you get the volume in your hand. As you get closer to pub, will you come back and tell us more about it? I will, I will, because a lot of this is um, going back to kind of my academic roots, if you like, which is about, because there was a lot of war about um, between the kings of France and the king of England during those 200 years. So it's kind of a bit going back to my my academic roots. So, yeah, I'll, I'll come on and, and talk to you about 12th That's and 13th century war in France. That's brilliant. Thank you. And everybody's all yeah. Philip. it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Kath. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. You can help us at History Hack by joining us via Patreon. It takes quite a lot of effort and a lot of work on quite a big team now to keep us going. And so if you could donate as little as £3 a month, it would be massively appreciated by all of us. There's different levels because Princess Marcus has set it all up with uh, varying rewards and things so do have a look do join us there's uh, an exclusive facebook group as well and you can be part of all of it
0: when our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts so to this end we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests latest and greatest books you can support them and you can support history hack too 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash hack history or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers.